This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. You can open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter is a book in the New Testament, kind of later in the New Testament, towards the end. And we're going to look at uh, chapter 2 today, 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, uh, I hope you had a chance to look at some of the images out in the, uh, uh, in the lobby of the uh, new building. We have some preliminary drawings, you know, nothing finalized or anything like that, but some preliminary drawings that we just want to give you an idea. And uh, so we'll meet in a couple weeks and talk more about that and answer questions. But we wanted you just to be able to see that now. Feel free to toss in your ideas or anything you would have. Like I said, nothing is, uh, nothing's finalized, but we just wanted you to be able to see that. So get a look out there, uh, if you would, in the lobby. And um, we are in a series called Prepare for the Square, where we have been talking about God's preparing us as a people <clears throat> to be the kind of people, the kind of church that he wants us to be. And so two weeks ago, we talked about <clears throat> excuse me, the Great Commission. Last week, we talked about the Great Commandment. And uh, this week, and for the next four, the, uh, the, the themes are going to rhyme, and uh, I'm not really a rhyming kind of a preacher guy, but they just all kind of hit me. So this is prepare to declare. We want to prepare to declare something, and that's what we're going to talk about today. First Peter 2, I'm going to read verses 9 and 10, then pray, and then we'll jump into it. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. God, we posture ourselves before your word today as those who need to hear a word from you. And Lord, whether we realize that or not, and whether that's a felt need or not today, we confess that it's reality, that we need to hear from your scripture. We need a God-breathed word to speak to our hearts today. And so we ask you to give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your Spirit, that I could proclaim your word truthfully and clearly and boldly. And I pray that you would give us all a heart to respond to your word today. God, I pray as you've been doing in this series, you would stretch us. I pray that you would expand our hearts and expand our vision And I pray that you would not just prepare us for a new location someday, but I pray that you would prepare us today to be conformed to the image of your Son, to be disciples, to be a community of disciples, to be your people bringing you glory. So, Lord, speak to us today and change us according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, many years ago, uh, I was a youth pastor. And I was a youth pastor in Pasadena, California, not Pasadena, Texas, but Pasadena, California, which is very different than Pasadena, Texas. It's in Southern California. And uh, one of the things I did there as a youth pastor was I served as a chaplain for a high school football team, a public high school 
football team. Now, you're thinking, wow, is that even legal? Of course not. I mean, Southern California is not the buckle of the Bible Belt. It's the buckle of something, but it's not the Bible Belt, I assure you, Southern California. And so really, there's no reason that I should have uh, been there or been doing that. And uh, But, you know, just living dangerously, kind of going behind enemy's lines, it's just kind of how I am. So there I was, risking all to be a public high school football chaplain. And my book will be coming out on it soon. But anyway, uh, so I really did two things. The first thing, um, and this is okay to say this for the kids in the room, but the first thing I went to their summer uh, practices, their summer practices called Hell Week. And uh, the reason they called that is because the difficulty of it, and they literally invited me in to share the gospel and present heaven to these kids who were in the midst of uh, what they were calling something very different. And so I went in and just had an open door, just preached the gospel to all these kids, which it was a listening group because they didn't have to be outside sweating and running. And so it was, I'll sit here and listen, preach more. It was like the first time kids wanted to preach or to go longer because we can sit in the air conditioning as long as he's here. So anyway, I had that opportunity. The second thing I did was they invited me every week for home games to come into the locker room and then to pray for the team. And that was the last thing. The coach gave a speech. Everybody kind of got in. And then I prayed, and then they ran out to the field. And, you know, I just learned that when you're in a locker room and you want to win, there's no atheists. Uh, nobody's talking about this is, you know, separation of uh, church and state. Everybody's open to any deity that could help them win at that point. And so I wasn't praying for them to win, but, you know, I was praying God to keep them safe and they'd do their best and did different things, you know. But uh, anyway... There was one guy, this is what he would do. So that was it. I'd kind of pray they'd go. But there was this one guy, he was a running back, and what he would do is uh, he would play, and then when the, def- when the defense went on the field, he would hop, come off the field, and he would come over to me throughout the game. And he was like a really wired guy, so he'd just kind of be bouncing, can you pray for me, can you pray for me? He would just want me to pray so that I could send him back into the game and that hopefully he would be successful. So I wasn't like praying for... Uh, you know, 20-yard runs or something like that for the guy. But I did pray. I, I was, anybody asked me to pray, I'm glad to pray. So he would just be bouncing, can you pray for me, can you pray for me? And I would just put my hand on his shoulder pads out in the open and pray for him. And he'd run back in and come back out, can you pray for me? Can so throughout the game, I'm just praying for this guy. And uh, it's just a vivid memory that I have. And it just occurred to me that that dynamic that was going on is similar to how some of us view this gathering. It's similar. And he thought that he could come and sort of encounter God through my prayer or something like that, and that then he would be blessed to go back to the place where the action really was. In other words, the action wasn't on the sideline. That was just preparatory for him to go back out to the field. And that sounds kind of superstitious almost, but that's how some of us relate to this meeting. In other words, the real action and the real calling is out there. And we're supposed to be on mission out there, reaching people with the gospel. That's what we've taught the last two weeks, so I believe that. But we're supposed to be out there. This is a place where we come in and we get fueled up for the week. This is the place we come in and we encounter God and we get pumped up to go into our week. This is the place where we get fed so that we can go out and be strong to be a witness, to be a light in the darkness, to be uh, on mission in our lives, in the neighborhood, in our families, in the workplaces. So this is sort of the place where we come to 
to prepare for mission, to be filled and fed so that we can go out to give, to be strengthened among the believers so that we can go out among unbelievers and be a witness to the Lord. Now, that's not a false understanding of this gathering, but that's an imbalanced understanding of this gathering. And this morning, I want to speak on the intersection of our mission to reach people and this gathering, because this worship service is not a break in the mission. This worship service is not the intermission, and the other seven days, six days a week are the mission. So come to the intermission and get rested up and then go out on the mission. No, this is part of the mission. And I haven't taught very much on this, hardly at all. Actually, I've taught somewhere else on this, but hardly at all in this church, which is very strange. But I've taught very little about this, and, and I'm changing that today. The mission is not only go and tell. The mission is also come and see. Come and see God at work. It's both. We're privileged to go and tell, but we're also privileged to come and see so that every time we gather in our midst, there are people that need the Lord. I hope you know this, that there's never been a meeting in the almost seven years of Grace Church that there hasn't been an unbeliever in the room. Every every time there's an unbeliever. There are people here who are unchurched every week. Someone doesn't have a church. They may be a Christian and just kind of wandering or or they may not, but there's unchurched people here every week. There are de-churched people here every week. And, and this, is, this is the kind of person I'm meeting more of. And if this is you, welcome. We're really glad you're here. But this is a de-churched person, a person that had some kind of a bad experience somewhere in a church and have just pulled out, just exited, done with the whole thing. And for some reason, you got the courage or you, for some reason you came here as a de-churched person. And we want to say we're glad you're here and we want to do whatever we can to help you and to help you know the Lord, return to the Lord come back, whatever it is. Every week there's someone here who might be a prodigal who's walked away. Every week there are unbelieving children in this gathering. Every week. Not every kid in this church is saved. And so there are kids who come to church with their parents. They're in elementary school. They're in middle school. Some of them are in high school on the brink of adulthood. And they sit here every week and they're not a believer. They don't know Christ yet. And so there's a mission field in the room right now. There are people that need the Lord. And so this gathering is really designed to be missionally potent because here the work of God is audibly and visibly present. It's verbally heard and it's visibly demonstrated through God's people. And, and what's more is as we gather to worship, what we're going to see this morning is that God is distinctly present God is uniquely present among his people as we worship in gathered worship. God is present here to receive our praises. God is present here to build up and feed Christians. And God is present here to give new life to people that do not know Jesus Christ. That's part of what he's doing here. When God shows up, one of the things God does is give new life to people that do not know him. He is here in a unique way. People can experience here, and I don't mean our church. I mean the gathering of any place where Christians who teach the Bible and preach the gospel gather. So plenty of churches. But anytime we gather in that way, people can have an experience. People can see something that they cannot see anywhere else. And that's the people of God. 
gathered for worship. So what I want to do with this passage we just read is two things. I want to talk about who we are as we gather, because that's what the passage does, and then I want to talk about what we do as we gather. But the first thing we need to see is who are we as we gather? How does Peter write these Gentiles and tell them who they are? Look at verse 9. You are a chosen race. He's, reading, he, he's not writing to Jews. He's writing to Gentiles in the dispersion. And he tells them, you are a chosen race. He's describing people who are Jew and Gentile alike, and now they're one race. There are, we, we are all, those of us who believe in Christ, are all one race. We're not Jew and Gentile. Our primary identity is not a different ethnicity. It's not a different nationality. It's we are in Christ, and so we are one. And what he wants to highlight here at the beginning is that you are chosen, that God has chosen a people for himself. There's a mystery in how all that works, but the Bible throughout describes in the Old Testament God as choosing Abraham and then Israel. Israel is God's chosen people. And now he's saying to Gentiles, you're a chosen you're a chosen race, the people who are in Christ. We're chosen. As we gather, we are gathered by those that God has reached down to and God has saved and God has called to himself. So this is something very unique. You're not here in the first place because you chose to be here. We say, well, sure I am. In one way you are. Of course, you made the decision to wake up today and to drive here and come here. Of course you did that. But the only reason you would want to be in a place of worship as a Christian, if you're a Christian, is because God has brought you to himself. You're here, you say, oh, I'm here because I love the Lord. Well, we only love the Lord because he first loved us. So get that. We are summoned by God, called by God, chosen to know him. That's a beautiful thing. Secondly, he says, we are a royal priesthood. It's hard, maybe almost impossible, for us to grasp the shock value of that statement. He's writing to Gentiles who couldn't even come into the holy place and worship. And he's saying, you are now priests. Everyone in this room who's a Christian is a priest, according to the Scripture. You don't need to come to a priest who offers a sacrifice. You yourself are a priest. And that's just, that in the Old Covenant, there were very few people that were priests that served the people. The priests were those who were set apart to God. The priests were those who had unique access to God. The priests were those who offered sacrifices for God. You're called apart to God. You have special access to God in Jesus, if you're a Christian here. And you are called to offer sacrifices to God. Now, that is what he has just said. If we go back and look in, chapter, in verse 4, same chapter 2, look at how he has talked previously to these Gentile Christians. Verse 4, as you come to him... Now, you're going to see there's a corporate worship idea here. As you come to him, and you'll see the corporate worship in the next verse, look. A living stone, that's Jesus, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So you're all stones. Each of you is a living stone, and you're placed together. We're a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So here's the background of what we're talking about. He's saying you're all a priest. He mixes the metaphors. You're a stone, a living stone. We're built together, and it's this living, vibrant temple. And you're also a priest. You're offering spiritual sacrifices. So what's a spiritual sacrifice? First of all, we're not offering a physical sacrifice. Nobody should have a lamb tied up out there. We're not killing any animals. We're in the New Testament. 
And so the kind of sacrifices we offer, Jesus has been offered once and for all. So there's no more sacrifice. He, he offered a sacrifice once and for all and then sat down at the right hand of the Father, the Bible says. Yet we as priests are still called to offer spiritual sacrifices. As you come, living stones together, we're together offering spiritual sacrifices. What is that? Well, I think it's what's described in Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13:15 says this. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. The sacrifice of praise. So we are priests with direct access to God who gather with the people of God and bring these praises to God, which is called a sacrifice. Okay, next he says you're a holy nation, a holy nation. Nation. Now, he's not talking about a geographic area. We think of nation, we think of Canada, we think of China, um, and we think of various geopolitical nation states. But he's not talking about that kind of nation. A better way to say this would be like a group of people with, with something in common, though they're not perhaps in the same geographic border. So if we said, are you part of Cowboys Nation? That means wherever you live, if you cheer for the Cowboys, you're part of Cowboys Nation, regardless of where you live. That's really what he means here. We're a holy nation, Jew and Gentile, different places, different ethnicities, male and female, and we are holy. That is, we are set apart for God. We are set apart to him. We are set apart for him. So we're this set-apart people for God. And then the last phrase kind of encapsulates all the above. You are a people for his own possession. This is great. We are owned by God. So he's writing to these Christians, this fledgling little church among Gentiles, and he said all that the Old Testament says, it's been fulfilled in Christ, and you're the fulfillment. Look, you guys, you guys are chosen by God. You're a, a new breed, a new race. Different ethnicities, but one in Christ. You, you're a priesthood for the king. Royal is kingly. You're a priest for the king. You're gathering together, and as a people, you're these living stones. You're offering a sacrifice of praise to God. You're separated to God. You're this nation that's defined not by borders, but union with Jesus Christ. You're this holy nation, and God owns you. God possesses you. And this is a corporate picture. It's true if you're a believer, you individually are owned by God. But he's not saying you individually. He's saying we are owned by God. So you get the picture. Back in verse 4, he said, as you come to him. So we're coming together, and this is what he's describing, the coming together, that we are chosen, that we are all priests, that we are holy, and that we are owned by God. Something significant is happening here. You're not just at a social club this morning. You're not just here to observe a performance. I know we have a stage and have some instruments up here, but this is not just like some concert or some performance. You're hearing a guy speak, I understand, but it's not as if we're just listening to oratory. We're not just coming to some kind of meeting. We're not just attending something like we normally would in an auditorium to be an observer to something that is going on. No, we are the people of God owned by God, gathering before God, gathering for Him. He owns us. And He's called us to Himself. We're not just coming here to get charged up for the week. We are here to encounter God. The priests encountered God. The high priest went into the Holy of Holies and met with God on an annual basis on the Day of Atonement. 
We are the curtains torn down. We are all in the Holy of Holies when we gather before God as priests. We come because of the blood of Jesus and we're in his presence. He is here. There is nothing on the planet like this. Namely, the church gathering together in the presence of God. This is entirely unique for God to gather among his people. Not in a building, but among the people gathered, wherever people are gathering, in Jesus' name, under the authority of his scripture today. There he is. Please note, there's nothing like this. What he is saying about the church here is that all of the hopes of the Old Testament, that they've come to fruition and they're found here. They're found among the people of God with Jesus in our midst. The Spirit among us. So these verses tell us not only who we are, but also what we do. Look at the next phrase. You're all these things, a people for his possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So what happens, verse 4, as you come to him, these living stones, this chosen people, this holy nation, what happens when we're together? Well, we are to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into light. What does that mean, proclaim? Is he talking about evangelism? Well, he's not talking about evangelism in the way that we think about it oftentimes. He's not talking about personal evangelism. We've talked about that over the last couple of weeks. He's not talking about that. He, is he talking about preaching what you're doing right now, what I'm doing right now? Is he talking about preaching so you come together and some, you know, one person proclaims the excellencies? I, I think that's part of it, but I don't think that's ultimately what he's talking about either. And and the reason I say that is because of this word proclaim, that you may proclaim the excellencies. It's not the word, the same word that's typically used for preaching the gospel. Look over in chapter 1, verse 25. The word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. It's not that word preached. It's a different word. When you gather, you proclaim the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness and into light. Well, what does the word mean? It's the only time this word is used in the whole New Testament. So I can't give you like five different New Testament passages that talk about proclaiming the excellencies. They're not there. It's the only time it's used. But one way we can get at the word a bit is to see how the same word is used in the Old Testament, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And the word does appear there numbers of times. And it it often has the idea of declaring the praise of God, recounting the praise of God, to count God as worthy. It usually has that kind of sense. And that's why the NIV translates this. The NIV doesn't say that you may proclaim the excellencies, which could be preaching or evangelism. It says that you may declare the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I think that's what's in mind here. The people of God gather, they're God's possession, and as they gather, they declare his praises. They declare his praises. We see this at a number of times in the Old Testament where the gathering of the people of God is for the purpose of recounting his praise. Psalm 79, Psalm 79, 13 says this, But we, your people, the sheep of your pastor, pastor will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. That's the word. We will recount. So we're going to gather before you and we're going to recount, retell what you've done. Or Psalm 107 says it as well. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, 
for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. So what's he saying? The Old Testament is saying the people of God come together and they tell of who God is and what he's done. Tell of his deeds in songs of joy. You're going to get together and you're going to sing joyful songs. And as you do that, you're telling what he's done. You're recounting what he's done. You're declaring what he's done. You're proclaiming what he's done through your words, through your prayers, through the preaching, and in particular in these passages, through the singing. We proclaim what he's done and the chief thing that he has done, verse 10, I'm sorry, verse 9, is that he has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now here's the point I want to make, and we're going to develop this here in the next few minutes. But that when we gather, we are declaring, first of all, to God what he's done. We're secondly declaring it to one another as Christians. The Bible says that we're to sing to one another. So we're remind, did you get that this morning in the middle of the singing where they paused and said, okay, uh, Kendall said, you know, uh, these, these truths about the faithfulness of God, maybe you have that assurance today, maybe you don't. So listen and be reminded. And all of a sudden he read to us, they read to us, and we're reminded of the faithfulness of God. The love of God. So we do that to one another. But whenever we gather to do this, we also proclaim, we also declare, we also sing, we recount of the works of God in the earshot of those who don't know Him. We do that before people who are far from God and don't know God. They may be here investigating. They may be here, you know, because they're curious, they may be here because someone invited them and they just, well, I might as well say yes. They may be here. You may be that person. For any number of reasons, you're here and we're so glad to have you. Now, I'm not presuming that if you're a guest, I'm not presuming you're in darkness and you need to move to light. I'm not presuming that at all. You may be a guest who's in the light. You may be a guest who the Scripture would say is in the darkness. And the way you come to the light is what you heard sung about today and what I'm talking about. You respond by believing. Namely, that Jesus is the Savior, that he came and gave his life for us, that we're all sinful and separated from God. But Jesus gave his life. And if we trust Jesus, then our sins are forgiven. He rose from the dead, and he defeats the power of sin, and he gives us new life as we turn and and trust in him. And you can do that today. See, what, what we often do is we often divide worship or praise and evangelism. So praise is us talking to God about what God's done. We usually stop there. That's really good. But we usually don't even get the, we also tell one another as a reminder to build our faith in the Lord. We often miss that horizontal dimension of it among Christians. But I would say we almost always, most of us, almost always miss the third category, which is we declare before others what God has done and ultimately invite them to join in our praise. Ultimately, tell them as we are celebrating this great God, we invite them to know and celebrate. We invite you, if you're not a Christian, to know and celebrate that same God. This idea is fairly common in the Old Testament. I mean, maybe you think, well, I don't think you know, Hebrew religion was evangelistic at all. Well, Hebrew religion, the Jews were to be a light to the nations. God comes to call Abraham not just to have a people separated uh, unto himself, not just to have a holy nation, but to have a nation that would ultimately declare his praises before others. And I'm going to look at a couple of scriptures that talk about this, that combine the praise of God 
for us of Christians and inviting the nations. Now, when we see nations, we mean the separation of Jew and Gentile. The nations are the Gentiles. The praise of God and then inviting people to listen and watch and join in. That's in the Old Testament, and it's the basis for the description that we read in this passage, particularly this word to declare or recount the praises of God. So maybe this will make it clearer. Psalm 96. Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. That's a broad invitation to Jew and Gentile, to the nations. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare, there's the idea, declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. So worship him, do it in front of people that don't know him, and now look at the invitation to them to join. Ascribe to the Lord, this is later in the passage, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. There's a turning and saying, O families of peoples, the nations, we're worshiping, you do the same. Ascribe to God the glory that is due him. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him. Who? The Jews? No, all the earth. They're invited to come into the courts. In the, in the Old Testament temple, in the Old Covenant temple, there is an area called the court of the Gentiles. They couldn't go into the holy place, but they could go into this area called the court of the Gentiles. It was a house of prayer for all nations. The unbeliever could come there and could observe the people of God and actually could inquire, could worship at that, at that level, at not going any farther, but could go that far and, and believe in God himself as a Gentile. And so even in the temple is built in this idea of what we're talking about right now. Or look at uh, Psalm 105. Psalm 105. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. This is Psalm 105. The Psalms are the hymn book of the worship service. So they're the, the, the church, the, 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 the Jews, the Old Covenant church, we might call it, but the Jews, they are gathered together and they're singing this. They're calling upon the Lord and they're, they're singing. They're saying, make it known among the peoples. Sing it among the peoples. I, I read a quote that I thought really encapsulated this idea of the people of God seeking to draw in others who hear of the praises of God declared. And It's a quote from Tim Keller. Tim Keller is a Presbyterian pastor in New York City who leads a church where they've seen many people come to Christ through the ministry of their Sunday morning gatherings. This is what he says. Israel was called to make God known to unbelieving nations by singing his praises. The temple was to be the center of a world-winning worship. The people of God not only worship before the Lord, but also before the nations. God is to be praised before all nations, and as he is praised by his people, the nations are summoned and called to join in and sing. This pattern does not essentially change in the New Testament, where Peter tells a Gentile church, this is our passage, to declare the praises of him who called this out of darkness. The term cannot merely refer to preaching, but must also refer to gathered worship. To gathered worship. What happens in the Old Testament is being fulfilled in the church today. The nations represent those who don't know the Lord. We are the nations. We are among the nations. We've been called out of the nations to be a holy nation 
for him. So we are this holy nation among the nations, people that don't know the Lord. And we, the holy nation, are to worship the Lord in the sight and before the nations, that is our unbelieving neighbor, that they might experience what we have experienced. One person called this, one professor called this doxological evangelism. Doxology means to, it has to do with proclaiming the glory of God. Worshiping is what it means. Somebody else called it missional praise. It's singing to the one who's brought us out of darkness into light and inviting others to experience that and to realize that God is present in our midst among his people. Verse 10 goes on, out of darkness into light. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's saying, look, once you were dead, once you were isolated, once you were judged, once you were uh, lonely, once you were spiritually dead, but now you're the people of God. You've tasted mercy, all of you, and you gather as the people who are drenched in the mercy of God, coming to him, announcing, singing, declaring, recounting his praises before God. And as you do that, God is in our midst. It's just so easy to just be like a natural thinking person and not consider the profound privilege it is to be able to worship, but the profound spiritual experience that occurs when people gather who know the Lord, who've tasted his mercy, are proclaiming his grace, are preaching his word. The Spirit attends this. And we can just so often think of it's just like a regular thing. It's like a meeting I go to. It's just like a religious duty. It's just what I do on Sundays without really saying, Peter's not writing and saying, hey, guys, yeah, just go to church and you can check that one off the box. Whoa, he's giving this bold theology about what goes on. In in 1 Corinthians 3, the book of Corinth, uh, Paul is writing to correct the Corinthians about a lot of different things. But it's interesting. One way he corrects them about harm that's done to the body, they are selfish, they are harming one another. And this is one thing he says about the different, um, uh, the different fissures, the breakdown that they had in their church. Is that he didn't just say, everybody get along. He didn't just say, here's the five rules. Everybody do this stuff and like one another and stop your bickering. That's not what he did. Here was his appeal. 1 Corinthians 3.16, he says, Do you not know that you, and it's you plural, we could say y'all, that's a very accurate exegetical translation. Do you not know that y'all, the church, are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? That's what he says. Do you know that you people have the Spirit of God living in you? In the Old Testament, God, in one way, God is present everywhere. He's omnipresent. But his manifest presence was uniquely in the temple and in the Holy of Holies. But when Jesus dies on the cross, the curtain dividing the Holies of Holies is torn. And now we're all welcomed into the Holy of Holies. And now he says, there's not a building. The temple is the people. And when you gather, God is there. He is here. He is present. He is really, really here. He's present to bless. He's present to convict. He's present to encourage. And please know He's present to save. God is present here to take a dead heart and bring it to life. Some of you got saved in a meeting like this. You walked into a meeting, your heart was dead, and He brought it to life. And He wants to do that for a lot of other people. 
He is in our midst. We gather for God. Yes, we gather to edify and strengthen the church. Yes, but we gather for mission as well. And this is why it matters what we sing. This is why I'm so thankful. We have two primary worship leaders. Kendall leads as well. Did a great job second time he's led here. But so we have three different worship leaders probably on the rotation. So they select songs, and we talk about them during the week and try to plan for that. But I love the, the songs they select, which are in that, that we're involved. The pastors are involved in that as well. It's a joint thing. But, but they, they select songs that have sound truth to them. So that we're singing, first of all, God is honored when we sing things that are true about him. And we're encouraged when we sing things that are true about him. But listen, there's people in the room that don't know the Lord, and they need to hear what's true about him. And so it matters what we sing, and it matters how we sing, how we worship, how we participate. Why does it matter? Well, first of all, because we're doing this to the Lord, for the Lord, encountering him. We gather as God's people. He possesses us. So how we relate to the God who possesses us and loves us is very important. But also our participation encourages one another. As we sing, as we read scripture, as people exercise spiritual gifts, we encourage one another. But then there's also, also this truth. Sing to the Lord before the nations and turn to them and say, you too worship the Lord. How we sing is how we participate is a testimony to the nations who gather with us, to the unbelievers in our midst. Were well, there very many unbelievers here? I, well, I, don't have, I haven't actually peered into the Lamb's Book of Life, can't answer that one for you, but I assure you they're here, starting with your own children who may not know the Lord yet. And their first impressions of who God is and what he's like will be demonstrated not by what I tell them, but by what the, the people of God, well, sort of how they respond to this God. If he's really all that, if he really has saved us, as the Scripture says, then that should affect how I participate. I mean, I thought about this this week. You know, I usually, I, I'm not saying that anyone should be participating in a way because we're all looking around. I'm on the front row. I don't see what anybody's doing except the band. So I don't, I don't know what, what's happening behind me. You guys could be doing cartwheels or you could be sleeping. I don't know. And given the choice, I'd go with the cartwheels, by the way. But I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know what you're doing. So this is no assessment of anyone in the room. I, I absolutely do not know. But I asked this question to myself this week. I said, what if an unbeliever was to judge the worth and the value of God based on my participation to the God who is present in the room and the truth I sing about? Would my participation communicate the following? I was dead. And this God raised me up out of the grave. I was a slave. My hands, my feet were shackled. I was not just a slave. I was a slave to Satan. I was a slave to the world, the flesh, and the devil. And this Jesus and his love came and cut those cords and set me free. What would it communicate? I was an orphan. I was lonely. I had no one taking interest in me. I was surely dead. I was desperate, and the heavenly Father <laughs> reached down, chose me, chose a nation, reached down and chose me, drew me to himself, loved me, saved me, made me his own, and put me in his family. I'm not alone. I have received mercy. Would my approach to God on Sundays communicate that to someone who doesn't know the Lord? 
if they were to say, if someone were to come to our church and say, I'm going to make an assessment on the presence and the power and the activity and the worth and the loveliness of this God based on how I see him in your life as you sing to him, what would they say? Would they say, that was a nice concert? I mean, people, people respond this way in a concert. I go to concerts, some with my kids, and uh, here's what I've noticed at concerts is that a lot of times the people are really into it because they really like the band and really like the song. People are singing the songs. People are raising their hands. I mean, I've been in concerts where people are going like this or like that. I haven't been in a lot of those concerts, but the, whatever they're doing, and I haven't been in the concerts where they're shoving each other either, but people are using their hands They're singing. Sometimes they're closing their eyes. Why? Because they love the band. They identify with the song. They love the experience. They're a little inebriated or high, perhaps. There's something else. And we have the same thing. It's called the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk in the Spirit. Don't be drunk on wine. Be filled with the Spirit. So when we come, we're animated by something, too. Someone animates us. And that's the Spirit of God who, who reveals Christ to us so that we respond. I mean, it's possible to go to a concert or to go to a sporting event. There'll be people gathered in temples all over the country this afternoon, and their hands will be in the air, and they'll be painted colors, and they'll be celebrating what's happening on the field. And it's, you can go and say, oh, this guy loves that team. Or you can see somebody sitting there reading a book and say, man, who brought him along? He's not into this. Yeah, they love that team. They love that band. Would they come and look at me and say, he loves Jesus? Because there's an expression that he's owned by God, and the Scripture says that we're to kneel before the Lord, we're to be silent before the Lord, we're to shout to the Lord, we are to clap, we are to lift our hands, we are to dance. There's all kinds of biblical expressions that God says, this is a way that you can show honor to me. And all of those expressions are at every concert I've ever been to and at every football game I've ever been to. They're not religious in nature, they're human. And so these human responses which say, communicate something about a team, these human responses which communicate something about a song or a band, ultimately the highest expression should be reserved. And I go to concerts and I'm into it and I go to games. Well, not many games. I don't go to NFL games, but uh, I can't afford it. But I, if I could go, I'd be yelling. So I'm, a, I'm not judging that stuff. I'd be in it. But I want to reserve my highest affection for the one. We are a people of his possession. We are declaring what he has done. We're not declaring score a touchdown. We're not declaring, man, guitar solo. That's incredible. We're, we're declaring the God of the universe has saved a people for himself. And those who watch that, those who watch that, and those who experience God's presence in the room are drawn to him. There's a rhythm. We go into all the world, and then verse 4, as we come to him as living stones. We go and we come. Here's the point. Gospel witness, our gospel witness is amplified when the people of God gather in the presence of God to proclaim the excellencies of God. Our witness is amplified when the people of God gather in the presence of God. You're a temple. The Spirit is in your midst. When we gather in the presence of God to declare the excellencies of God, Our gospel witness is amplified. So how do we respond? Well, number one, we should expect God to work every time we gather. We should be expecting, if God is really here, why would God be a respecter of persons? Why would God save us and not someone else? Why would God open our heart and not someone else? So we should be expecting for wanderers to be drawn in. 
for, for the unchurched and the dechurched to be joined in, for the lost person to come to the gracious, loving, saving knowledge of Christ every time that we gather. We should be praying for that, asking for that. It may not happen right now. Sometimes people may come for a long time, and then out of the blue, it makes sense to them. They were warm. They first came and said, this is different. I'm not sure what's going on here. What is this? a little different, odd. But ultimately, their heart warms, and they begin to experience something. So we should expect that. Number two, we should invite, expect and invite. If the power of God, if the presence of God is really what the Bible says, you're a temple of spirits in your midst. If the presence of God is really among the people of God, then how in the world could this remain a secret? How in the world would I want it to be a secret? I would want to expose as many people as possible to the manifest presence of God and the message of the gospel. That's what's uniquely different here. I can go and witness, and that's excellent. I can go and share the gospel, share my testimony, but there's something that when they come into the presence of God among the people of God, the person whose heart is tender, whose God is working on, will see that and be drawn to God. Someone may say that's strange, and I don't want any part of it if their heart's not ready, but the person whose heart's ready will be drawn, drawn to God. In the 1980s and 90s, there was a movement in the evangelical church that sort of said this. It was a seeker-oriented church that said this. We need to remove all of the things that would sort of, you know, be too passionate about the Lord or talking about like the blood of Jesus and some of these kinds of things. Let's just sort of level it out, go horizontal, communicate in a way that people can respond to and don't do anything that would be overly vertical, you know, in our worship of the Lord. And uh, this says just the opposite. I believe this says get people among the people of God and let them experience the presence of God among the people of God. This is one of the ways God saves people. So let's invite and let's make room for more people. This is part of the idea of prepare for the square. It's part of the idea of moving to Frisco Square. As, as, um, as statistics go, we've tracked our growth since the first day that we ever met. And if we just stay on the track where we've been, in less than two years, we'll be out of room here. Actually, we bump up on out of room in children's ministry in the first service already now, sometimes. Actually, if we all grasped what I'm talking about today, myself included, and took this to heart, oh, we'd be out of space, I believe, in less than two years. Maybe two months. I don't know. But it, 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 I, we are looking ahead and saying, okay, we have some room now. There's some ceiling room in our gathering. Um, but it's not going to be that way. So we want to prepare to be at a place where we can invite more people and welcome more people. And if it's true that the presence of God is among the people of God in their worship, then let's get to the most trafficked location that we can where people who are looking, where people who are needy see that and, and who are asking questions would show up. Let's get in the middle of as many people as possible. And let's, most importantly, regardless of where we meet, let's be the most inviting people that we can be. Every Sunday is a great Sunday for someone to be here who's not a Christian. Well, what if it's not Christmas, and what if it's not Easter, and what if it's not Guest Sunday when we've got a great lunch? We've got Jesus all the Sundays, and hopefully we're proclaiming him, and hopefully we're singing about him, that the hardest tender will see that and will experience God's presence here. I mean, you may be experiencing that today. You say, there's something different. When we were singing, it wasn't just like a concert. I felt something. Something was different about it. That's the Spirit of God, especially if your thoughts were being drawn to the Lord. That's the Spirit of God taking you to a place that you wouldn't normally be, left to yourself. He's drawing. So let's begin a, a fresh attack of inviting folks. We've got inv invitation cards on your way out. We've got a bunch of cards. Grab cards and just give them out. It's very simple. 
hey, I'd like to invite you to church. I was with my son eating yesterday at a restaurant. We just invited the guy. Hey, the guy waited on us. Hey, what, you, would you like to come? I don't know what you're doing on Sundays. We'd like to have you out. Come to find out he was a part of kind of a different faith or whatever. And he said, no, thanks, but I really appreciate you asking me. Okay. Well, it wasn't painful. I'm not in jail. I mean, nothing really bad happened from that. There's no persecution. Um, but you don't know. He may stick that card and his other faith may not work out. And he might see, you might see him someday. You never know. Lastly, let's pray. Let's expect, let's invite, and we're done here. Let's pray. I believe God is calling us to a renewed prayer emphasis. Would you please pray, and would you please pray specifically that the Holy Spirit of God would be poured out as we gather? That the Holy Spirit of God would be poured out. The Spirit dwells in each of us already. When we gather, He is here. He is here. Some of it's just being aware that He's here and looking for how He works, especially through the Word being preached to us, especially through singing and prayer. But let's pray that his manifest presence is in a powerful way here so that there's a light shining and that those who don't know him see the light of Christ among the people of God. Let's also pray, well, let's pray against the enemy that he would have no foothold in this church. I'm not a spooky spiritual warfare guy. If you've been around here, you know every Sunday I'm not talking about things that go bump in the night, but I believe in things that go bump in the night. And I believe that we should be praying. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. I believe that we should be praying that the gospel would go forth in the power of Christ defeating the enemy. Listen, if we think for a moment that we could spend the last number of weeks uh, preaching and responding and inviting, there's a bit of a momentum outwardly in our church right now. If we think that we're going to emphasize that, that we're going to tell the whole church to go mobile, that we're going to get under God's word and say God is calling us to go mobile with our faith. God is calling us to talk to our neighbor and our coworker about Christ. God is calling us to invite people. God is calling us, and we're going to start doing that. If we think we're going to start doing that, if we think that we are going to have some plan directed by the Lord I trust who took the initiative and gave us the land, we weren't looking, he came and gave it to us. If we think that we are going to try to relocate to the center of the city and proclaim the gospel in the very heart of our whole city, if we think that we are going to do that and there is not going to be a spiritual opposition, then we're naive. It's just naive. If you think that, read the New Testament, wherever the gospel goes forth, there's all kinds of things. There's opposition, there's persecution, there's division. When the gospel's going forth, you can bet there'll be division. It happens throughout the book of Acts. And so we need to pray for God's protection, for God's unifying power, that we as one people would be a witness for Jesus Christ empowered by him. That, that when we preach the gospel, it, there would be fruit that would come from it, that it wouldn't bring confusion, and it, that it would bring clarity, and people would be saved if we think that we're going to do all this and boldly proclaim the Lord without opposition, then we're just wrong. So we need to be praying, Lord, would you empower us? Would you push back the enemy all around us? Would you protect us? Would you convert people? Please pray for the leaders of the church. Please pray for his presence. Please pray for finances as we look forward to building. Please pray that we would be a sent people, that we would scatter for mission and be salt and light wherever we are, and then we would gather in faith for mission as well, trusting God to save people in our midst. Because as we come together, the gospel witness is amplified as the people of God gather in his presence and declare his excellencies. Let's be people who sing like Jesus got up out of the grave. 
Let's be people that listen to the Word of God like He is on the right hand of God, ruling and reigning. Let's be people who act with our hands and our feet and our mouth like we serve a God that is pushing back darkness and saving people, drawing people into His kingdom, building a family of people for His possessions. Let's act like that's true and move by faith and trust God and see. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.